0: You're listening to the Co-Main Event podcast and now your hosts Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts podcast. I'm your co-host from bleacherreport.com, Chad Dundas. And joining me, as always, from MMA Junkie in USA today, it's your friend and mine, Ben Folks. Ben, let's cut right to the chase. Let's get to the thing everybody wants to talk about. To kick off this episode of the CME, I was hoping I could get some analysis from you about the future UFC careers of Glyco Franco and Reg- Reginaldo Vieira.
1: Yeah, I was thinking we might need to go five rounds. Uh, two big, tough finale... Tough Brazil finale fights, man. We, let's, I, I got an idea. Let's spend, I'm going to say 90 minutes on those, and then we'll take two, three minutes at the end and talk about uh, uh, Ronda Rousey and Bechko Hea. What do you say?
0: We would need a couple of extra rounds just to do a deep dive into the game of Glyco Franca. Yeah. Who is now a fighting member of the UFC lightweight division.
1: You know, I was just a little bit distracted by how unprofessional they looked in their. Just blue and red shorts. Out there in their blue and red shorts. I could barely tell them apart. Yeah.
0: Used to just black and white. That's how the pros dress.
1: They need Reebok in there to elevate that
0: sport. Ben, once again, this episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast is brought to you by DraftKings.com. You're an MMA fanatic and proud of it. You know all the fighters. You watch all the fights. You're listening to an MMA podcast right now. It's time to put your knowledge of the sport to the test at DraftKings.com. At DraftKings, you could win huge cash prizes every time you play. Just select five fighters, stay under the salary cap, outscore your competition, and you could be on your way to a massive payday. Score points for significant strikes, takedowns, advances, knockdowns, and more. These are the biggest daily fantasy MMA contests anywhere, and DraftKings has them. Play to win your piece of $1 billion in prizes that DraftKings has given out this year. Don't miss out, Ben. Tell them how they can play for free. Well, Chad, you hurry to
1: DraftKings.com now and use promo code CME to play daily fantasy MMA for free this weekend during UFC Fight Night 73. Remember, use CME to play for free now at DraftKings.com. That's DraftKings.com.
0: We got three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast in round number one. Man, give Betch Kohia credit. She played that don't back down until you drop face first onto the canvas in sickening fashion strategy until the very end. And in round number two, seriously, Ronda Rousey's brand of dominance is more like Barry Bonds coming to your kid's T-ball game and ripping some dingers than, say, Tom Brady winning four Super Bowls or whatever. So is that okay? And in round number three, just another day at the office for Rusamar Death deathmatch Paul Horace and his one-man quest to bring back the Kumite. All that plus Are You Fucking Kidding Me and Just Saying Stuff, but right now, like we always do about this time, let's lead off with a little bit of Listener Mail. Listener Mail. The first piece of Listener Mail this week comes to us from Kieran Austin. He or she writes...
1: You don't even want to take a stab, huh? I'm
0: going to say a he. I'm going to play the odds. Probably a he. Uh, He writes, So the Diaz brothers, who don't have beautiful fucking bodies, are out causing trouble again. This time with the Nermi brothers. Is a Team Diaz versus Team Nermi tag team match too much to ask for?
1: You know, I was wondering when this news broke that... First of all, I love how we we heard about it on Twitter, like from people at the World Series of Fighting event. Holy shit, it seems like the Diaz's and the Nurmagomedov's are brawling at cage side, And then, of course, because it's the year 2015, we get not only video of the initial confrontation, video of Nick Diaz appearing to throw a beer at your boy Nurmi, uh, and then video of the crews brawling in what seems to be a, just a casino bar area later on, and people throwing chairs and whatnot. And a part of me wondered, like, when that news filtered to Dana White, was he just like, "Well, thank God that happened in somebody else's shop." You know, maybe we can just get the the pop from it and go ahead and make that match and and promote the hell out of it, and make a bunch of money. Let somebody else deal with all the headaches of those guys actually brawling each other.
0: Well, it is 2015, so you knew that a bunch of Zapruder film style social media documentation of this thing was gonna was gonna trickle out eventually. Uh, my favorite update just happened, uh, today, about an hour before we recorded this. Someone tweeted me the photo of, uh, Habib Nurmagomedov and his crew hanging cage side. And in the background, just creeping, you don't notice him for a second, Nate Diaz standing back there in his shirt that says original on it, just, just hanging out like, Oh, who me? No, I'm just. I'm not here to to do anything. I'm just Biden just, his I'm time. I'm just standing here. Yeah. Well, you know, I uh
1: naturally I follow Nurmi on Instagram because like you do. that's you know, do you want to see uh videos of two baby bears wrestling each other two, or like a koala wrestling a puppy? Yes. Then follow your boy Nurmi cuz he got you covered. And he posted a thing like a really long thing in in Russian and then something in English uh, kind of uh giving his thoughts on what happened and i was surprised by how not a big deal he seemed to think it was he seemed to think it was weird how many people wanted to talk about it and kept asking him about it and his take was more or less that hey sometimes men get into fights with each other and the only reason people are making a big deal out of it is because i guess we're both ufc fighters so fine no really i mean like maybe that tells us a lot about what life at home It's like growing up for Nurmi that he sees it as like a big, huge group brawl like that is just, I mean, it's bound to happen on a Saturday night when guys are out watching fights. Uh, But no, that is actually kind of a newsworthy thing.
0: I would hazard a guess that members of both Team Diaz and the Dagestani knuckle game cartel probably view things like giant multi-dude casino brawls as being more commonplace than, say, you or I would
1: yeah uh, that's
0: possible but it's still he would have to realize that that this would garner some attention we if we know anything about habib Nurmagomedov, it's that uh he savvies the social media aspect of uh being a professional mixed martial arts fighter as he has emerged as one of the most unlikely but yet one of the most entertaining trash talkers in the sport so i would be surprised if he was legitimately shocked to find that a giant brawl cage side at World Series of Fighting between his crew and uh, Nick and Nate Diaz's crew would pique the interest of those of us who follow the sport. Are we
1: at a point yet where we can say that Nick Diaz is MMA's pound-for-pound pound leader in thrown beverages at adversaries? <laughs> he threw a beer at Nurmi. There's that story about him throwing a water bottle oh, yeah. at, at Jason Mayhem yeah. Miller. I mean, it's just like... It seems like if you get into an altercation with Nick Diaz and he's, he, there's any kind of fluid receptacle nearby, he's throwing it at you. Like, you know that going in.
0: Which, I mean, and that's a pretty cool list to be number one on. I don't know if it's quite as cool as being the top pound for pound through, sh- uh, shoe thrower in okay. the sport, which we would have to concede to Daniel Cormier at this point. Uh, but, but didn't, yeah
1: Wait, didn't he also, didn't Nick Diaz also throw a shoe at, uh, Either Diego Sanchez or Joe Riggs.
0: Oh God damn it! Maybe you're right.
1: Yeah, I'm telling I mean, you. When you're
0: brawling at the hospital, I'd be surprised <laughs> if a shoe didn't get thrown. Right?
1: Man, now that you think about it, I know Ronda Rousey's supposed to have a movie coming out about her autobiography. But where is Nick Diaz's joint at? That's what I want to know.
0: And will he play himself in that film? Like Naturally. Ronda plans. Who to else? Him?
1: Who else could play him?
0: You know, speaking of Aabib Nurmagomedov's like undercover trash talk game. In this photo of him, where Nate Diaz is creeping in the background, is he prematurely wearing yes. the champion's kit? Yes, he is. Okay, that is a I'm that's an awesome move, and he should be proud to be like the first person to think of that because I assume that that will soon become commonplace.
1: Yeah, I mean, and what I wonder is, did you buy that off the online store? Is the joke that, or like the the gimmick, really, is it that important to you that you are willing to drop 90 bucks or whatever to get the Reebok Champions kit? Because that, frankly, I think you or I, you know, if we were pro fighters, we might think it was a hilarious idea, and then we would totally balk at spending the money to follow through on it.
0: Well, I mean, I think that we can reasonably say if anyone on the UFC roster is going to wear the free Reebok swag that could get thrown their way. It's probably the Dagestani knuckle game cartel. They're what are you gonna saying? They're probably roll around in that stuff. You're saying they'll just wear anything. That's what you're saying. I'm just saying they're from a region of the world where mesh athletic shirts seem <laughs> to be more popular than, say, here in Montana. Free tracksuit? Oh, my very big friend. Thank you. Uh, next question this week comes to us from Jordan McClure. Uh, he or she writes... Was it just me, or did anyone else find it weird that during the Fox Sports 1 promo, Glover Tashira's fight with John Jones was billed as, quote, taking Jones to the limit? Did I miss something? Glover was closer to going over the limit of things you could buy at the quick checkout aisle at Walmart than any limit with Jones. Ouch. What's up with that? Not just you, Jordan.
1: No, in fact. We all noticed
0: that, You I think. commented on this, I believe, as we were watching it uh, when the the commercial for UFC Fight Night 73 came on. That was the glaring misstatement, I guess you would say.
1: It's not a misstatement if you're doing it on purpose.
0: We also, we also got another email on the same topic, I think, from Joe Mosqueda, who is a, a frequent listener of the show, who uh, theorized that this was a typo and that there was a word missing. Oh, yeah? And that the word missing was time. <laughs> that he took John Jones to the time limit
1: to the limit of the rounds. Yes. Yeah.
0: So that also was a good, a good take. I thought on this commercial, but Ben more to the point UFC fight night 73 this weekend live and free from Nashville, Tennessee. Am I right? Yeah. It's about the highest praise I can give it at this point. <laughs> you do have Glover Teixeira versus Ovin St. Prue in the main event, which seems to me, uh, borderline unsellable. I guess that's why they're giving it away for free. Uh, But, you know, further down the card, I would also argue that there are some kind of interesting scraps on this thing. Michael Johnson against Benil Dariush, I think, at lightweight is kind of interesting. I'll be interested to see Sam Alvey go out there again at middleweight against Derek Brunson and see what he can do. Uh, You got Uriah Hall on this card and then way down, obviously, on the preliminary card, which is going to be on Fox Sports 2 which is a bummer for everyone. Uh, women's bantamweight clash between Sarah McMahon and Amanda Nunes. So yeah, there's ha- some stuff on here that I think is worth watching. What did they do to get
1: stuck on the Fox Sports 2 prelims of this card?
0: Man, uh, I think that they were uh, born female UFC fighters. And Jared
1: Roeschult and-, and Timothy Johnson are going to go out there and lean on each other. Man, you for know, know the minutes. UFC
0: is good to put one middling heavyweight fight On the main draw of every card, that's that's right in their wheelhouse, (laughs) man.
1: Just right smack in the middle of the card too, so that you can get up and make yourself a sandwich. You know, uh, the the thing about taking Jones to the limit again. This brings me back to where I get. I really wish the UFC and Fox Sports and everybody could just embrace a little bit more of like an honest approach and trust that we'll we'll be okay with it as long as you don't lie to us. Like when you lie to us about it. And try to like represent this stuff as something that it's not, then you basically force us to talk about that instead of like talking about, you know, the actual fight that you're trying to use this to sell. And if you would just tell us, you know, that it's an interesting match, uh, make your case for that however you want to. I mean, it also reminds me with OSP on there. You remember when they're really trying to hype up his, uh, football playing days for the Tennessee Volunteers and showed that shot of him like in a mock locker room with, Like his him sitting there like with a jersey, and then on either side it was like Peyton Manning's jersey and Reggie White's jersey. As if like as if yeah, that's the triumvirate of Tennessee volunteers football players everybody thinks of. Goes Reggie White, Ovens St. Prue, then Peyton Manning. Like stuff like that where you're just like, Man, stop trying to to you know, sell us this as a steak every single time and trust that every once in a while, we're gonna wanna eat a sloppy joe. And you can just tell us that it's a sloppy Joe, and we'll be fine with that. Just don't lie to us.
0: Isn't it a stretch to like try to promote Ovin St. Prue as a University of Tennessee volunteer football player? Because if you actually go look up the stats, doesn't he have like three career tackles and played primarily on special teams? How many tackles do you have for the Vols? As far as you know, I, I could have <laughs> upwards of four or five. <laughs> hey, I mean, if you're on the squad, you got in their games, you made some tackles, I'll give you that. I'll guess, give you that. I guess so. I guess so. Breaking news here on the co-main event podcast, Ben Folks calls for more honesty in fight promotion. Yeah. So there we go. All of the MMA reporters that are listening to this show, trying to break down some easy news reports. There you go.
1: I look forward to seeing that headline on BJPenn.com later.
0: Is that it? Are we done talking about this fight card? What I else was, do you want to I say about it? I was going to glance at it one more time. I think you, uh, I think
1: you about covered it.
0: Yeah, It is happening.
1: That's something yes. we can say. Mm-hmm. It is a thing that is happening in the Bridgestone Arena. Granddaddy of them all there in Nashville.
0: Next question this week comes to us from Megan Kaluza, who identifies herself as a longtime listener, first-time emailer from San Francisco. Hey, welcome, she, Megan. She writes, The UFC made a point of touting its, quote, seven live fights on pay-per-view Saturday at UFC 191. What they didn't highlight is that two of the fights right in the middle of the very long broadcast – were tough Brazil fights. It's like eating a sandwich with the best bread you've ever tasted, but store-brand baloney in the middle. That's the, actually
1: not a bad analogy at yes, all. Yes, yeah.
0: Uh, these were not pay-per-view quality fights, so much so that the middle of the first tough fight, I started searching for the World Series of Fighting broadcast on the whatever-it's-called NBC channel that it's on, in the end, I was drawn back to the UFC to watch Shogun fight, so I missed seeing Jake Shields get poked in the eye for an entire round and had to find out that fight the next day. Uh, I'm sure you're going to do a segment on this, so I'll leave it at that. We are, Megan. That's we are for a fact. Very perceptive of you. But really, UFC, you couldn't leave the tough Brazil finale on some fight pass only event in which people know what they're getting into. It's not bad enough that we only got to see 34 seconds of the main event, but we had to suffer through two subpar finale fights for a show most of us probably didn't watch before getting there. Do you agree? Why yes. We do agree, in fact. Before we get into to what a bad decision this was and how poorly paced this event was and how that damn near ruined the entire night, we should say in defense of the UFC that these two tough Brazil season four finale fights were earlier earlierly scheduled for that card that was in Hollywood, Florida last month. Right. But we're led to believe that some visa issues uh, kept the... Uh, the Brazilian fighters from being able to be on hand there, uh, which seems like I'm just going to guess that somebody dropped the ball, uh, in the logistics department? Well, originally, UFC. right,
1: that, that that tough finale was supposed to be in Sao Paulo, right? And then they were going to move it and have it be in Florida, and then they couldn't get the visas, so then they had to shuffle around those fights, and we ended up with two tough finale fights on the main card. Now, I mean, I understand that you got to move some pieces around sometimes, and stuff like that happens. Would it have been so bad just to stick these on the Fox Sports 1 prelims of this card so that it didn't slow down the pay-per-view? Because I think especially... With this event, with Ronda Rousey in the main event, you're getting a lot of people watching this pay-per-view that don't really watch UFC pay-per-views, don't right. watch UFC events yeah. normally. And to stick those fights in there, like guys that nobody knows, you have to do the whole video package thing that you always do with tough uh, fighters, even more so with the tough Brazil fighters uh, for the North American audience. And then you know you know the fights aren't necessarily going to be of the highest quality because the guys are just tend to be more inexperienced. It seems to me like you, you should have been able to look at that one on paper and realize we're gonna grind our momentum to a halt and make for a really late night for a whole lot of people who are only showing up waiting to see Ronda Rousey, and especially they talked about it before the pay per view went live, like, hey, Ronda Rousey has a bunch of uh, women and young girls that she's kind of recruited as fans to the sport, and man, you got some twelve year old girl who thinks Ronda Rousey super inspiring and she lives in Virginia and she has to stay up till like two a.m. to watch her. That's rough. That's a lot to ask of that little girl.
0: Yeah, and you're not going to endear yourself to mom and dad. No, you're not. Shelled out the 60 bucks only to have young Susan fall asleep at like 1130. (laughs) Uh, This is sort of a double-edged sword, though, right? Because uh, I think we'll talk about this more during the Ronda Rousey uh, rounds that we're going to do. But, you know, we talk about this kind of a lot. And that's if she goes out and keeps beating people in 34 seconds, are people going to continue to think that her fights are worth 60 bucks on pay-per-view? So I think you need to do... Something to surround her with action that people are going to want to pay to see. And, you know, in terms of having a lot of casual fans tune into UFC 190, uh, I would say that that would be a good opportunity to fill out the rest of the card with. Reginaldo uh, Vieira. With exciting pros, <laughs> with, you know, exciting, uh, promotional entities that you also would like to interest people in. Because like, you know, maybe you tune in to see Ronda Rousey beat up Betch Cohea, but, uh, Steven Wonderboy Thompson is also on the card fighting like a damn video game that might be something where you're like oh okay I should watch this guy more also it just so happens however that Glyco Franca and Reginaldo Vieira are not those dudes <laughs> and in fact I would almost say nobody else on this card besides Claudia potentially uh, Claudia Godella yeah. uh, qualifies those kind of dudes obviously because uh, one of the Nogueira brothers was forcibly retired or retired by choice after this event, uh, Shogun, who was about to at the end of his rope, same for Bigfoot Silva. And Stefan Struve is a guy who's just kind of making his way back from uh, a lot of personal uh, trouble, you know, uh, physical trouble. So uh, this yeah, this was a strangely designed card, I thought, for one that was going to garner so much mainstream success. Although perhaps it took them by surprise. They didn't know that this card was going to be as successful as it as it turned out to be.
1: Yeah, and I'm sure we'll talk about that later because it did seem like it was kind of a, a breakout moment where the the rest of the sporting world uh, realized Ronda Rousey was doing something cool worth paying attention to when you could see if you're the UFC, you might have wondered, wait a minute, why weren't you guys this excited when she was fighting Sarah McMahon? And we had the whole Olympic medalist versus Olympic medalist. Thing.
0: Right. Yeah, this was a weird, potentially on paper, Ronda Rousey's least competitive fight garnering the most attention. Uh which I guess seems like par for the course at this point. But also,
1: point. like uh, Megan Kaluza, we did the same thing watching the, over at my house as soon as we saw a tough finale fight taking place. And, oh, cue the video packages where we're supposed to learn all about these guys in two minutes. Yeah, which
0: one has a daughter that he loves and which one merely has a supportive family. Yeah. Those are your basic storylines. Which lines. one
1: hopes to buy a house for his mother, yeah, um, with his six-figure contract. Uh, yeah, and that's
0: when we were like, all right, let's go see what's going on on World Series Fighting. Last question this week comes to us from Springy from Little Burton on Trent, England. Oh, that's fun. All of that sounds made up. He writes, after watching UFC 190, and particularly the heavyweight fights, I can't help but think how it's unusual that the heavyweights garner the attention while the lighter weight classes like bantamweight fail to gain as much popularity, uh, yet are the more technical and exciting, in my opinion, fights. I personally don't get it. You see the Big Nog versus Struve fight and the Bigfoot Silva fight, and it's like two drunk old men fighting underwater. Wow. That's descriptive. Uh, and in the recent bantamweight title fight, TJ Dillashaw was dancing around the cage like Muhammad Ali. To me, there's no contest. The lighter weight classes are so much more entertaining, even with the ball of energy that is Mighty Mouse Johnson. Just seeing the movement and energy blows me away. So why are the heavyweight classes perceived to be the crowd pleasers? I'd rather watch a fight like Gilbert Melendez versus any other <clears throat>
1: that says gibbler oh gibbler
0: i'm sorry yeah people are just weaving the jokes in there yeah i just miss them that's our Uh, audience over a heavyweight fight anytime is this me or are the casual fight fans looking for a quick nasty ko uh the majority voice please discourse this motherfucker uh (laughs) springy from burton on trent in in beautiful england uh is reading my mind here. Like I've been saying this for you this. I've been saying this since I worked for Versus.tv years ago. <laughs> wow. And part of my job was to watch the WEC back in the days when it was the showcase organization for the featherweights and bantamweights and also used the smaller cage, which I think in retrospect we've come to learn uh, affects the action of a fight in kind of uh, surprising ways. Uh, and I would watch those events that nobody was watching. It was like seriously a hundred thousand people, where the the ratings would be like, uh, you know, 120,000 people would watch those events. And they were awesome. And, you know, you had Jose Aldo out there uh, defying the laws of physics to knock out Kevin Sampson with a double flying knee. And you had all kinds of guys out there uh, just doing amazing things on every event. And when the UFC folded the featherweight and bantamweight divisions into the the octagon, I thought oh, this is going to be some shit. Like, these are going to be super popular. People are going to love this. Uh, and it just hasn't happened, really. And I and I don't know if that is uh, just the bias of the casual fan doesn't want to watch tiny people fight or if... It says something even more kind of discouraging about the sport that people just want to tune in to watch Todd Duffy and Frank Mir sprint at each other and throw hillbilly haymakers until somebody gets knocked out.
1: I think it is partly that that the heavyweights give you increased chances to see a finish in there, but I also think it's some weird psychological thing where some dude watching at a bar and he sees T.J. Dillashaw running around and he thinks like, oh well, hey man, I'll just I'll just bear hug him and. And fling him down on the pavement in the bar outside. I could take this guy. He's nothing so special. And you see Bigfoot Silva and you're forced to uh, admit that, no, you could not take him. And I think that, that that does a weird psychological number on some people. Where they just want to say, find me the biggest dudes you you can and let me see those guys fight.
0: Yeah, and is, do you think that part of that is a is a psychological thing where we secretly know deep in the back of our minds that even though Bigfoot Silva is not as aesthetically pleasing to watch fight as TJ Dillashaw, that he would crunch TJ Dillashaw in an actual, you know, no weight limit bout. Does that play into it? That like, no matter if the heavyweights are sloppy and, and not that technical and in poor condition, we still regard them as the, the baddest dudes on the planet?
1: Yeah, maybe. Although, like we've talked about before on this show, it's been for the UFC and for MMA for a long time that the light heavyweights have been basically the the vanity division, the one that we love so much. And that usually, at most points in MMA history, you could take whoever was the best light heavyweight in the world and say, if we hold an absolute division tournament here, that's the guy who comes out on top. Uh, And, I mean, I don't know if you could... I think... It depends kind of who you have, uh, at heavyweight, especially that belt, uh, in the UFC has been really hard to hold on to. So we haven't seen a whole lot of like long term dominance there. Uh, but I still think that something about as long as people can look and see, like, all right, big scary looking dude who is also really good at fighting, that's still in their minds trumps like small athletic dude who is really good at fighting. Uh, Even though, like we've talked about before, you just have so many more good fighters at that lower weight classes because those guys, if you're a really good athlete uh, and want to be a pro athlete at something, and you're 5'8 and 160 pounds, you don't have as many options as the dude who is 6'3, 240 and also a really good athlete. In fact, if you were the dude who's 6'3, 240 and a really good athlete and you could be a fighter or an NFL player and you choose fighter, I don't know what's wrong with you, man. You're a psychopath Uh, and you don't like money.
0: And yet this like this uh, bias against lighter weight classes doesn't necessarily seem to exist, at least not to to as much of an extent in boxing. Right. Like clearly in boxing, heavyweight can be the most popular thing when you have a Mike Tyson uh, style figure. But you know Manny Pacquiao and uh, Floyd Mayweather are basically Jose Aldo sized, right? Those guys fought at like 143 pounds or something like that, and that was the biggest fight in boxing history. Uh, but then you see what's
1: happening with Conor McGregor now, and I think that proves that you can in MMA have those guys, you know, 145 pound guy who becomes a huge superstar if it's the right guy.
0: So just how you just have to throw money in the air, Mayweather style. There you go, around in your Lambos, right? Or be a weirdly like devout rigid religious guy from a company or from a country. That's just going to support you with its millions of people, no matter what you do and have Those some of the two, some
1: strange fixation on singing all the time, even though you're not really that good
0: at it. Yeah. Well, who's going to tell Manny Pacquiao he can't sing, <laughs> not me. That's going to do it for this week's listener mail. If you have a question, a comment or a concern that you want to air to the co-main event podcast in future weeks, you know how to get a hold of us. You go to the website, com and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says Email the Podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. That comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes and MMA that we miss from Monday to Friday when we're not recording the podcast. It's funny. It's short. It's not going to take up your whole day. You'll like it, and if you don't, you can just unsubscribe. It's totally free. And uh, we're not going to sell your email address to, you know, Halliburton or whatever.
1: Unless they offer us a lot of money.
0: Then we would do it.
1: Yeah.
0: and we would sell your email address to those weird sex companies. Uh, Good feelings for you, the subject line
1: you know what actually let's let's talk more about this off the air you just gave me a great idea
0: this is a new revenue stream yeah so scratch the what i just said in the last 30 seconds everything else is true about the breakfast of champions there you go as for right now though we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one One of the co-main event podcast is presented by the national academy of sports medicine the national academy of sports medicine is looking for people who want an exciting career in the fitness industry where you wake up every day doing something that you love nasm trainers improve people's lives by helping them reach their health and fitness goals don't miss this opportunity to start a career where you get to stay active and change other people's lives it doesn't get any better than that NASM guarantees you'll land a job within 60 days of earning your CPT certification or your money back. Ben, tell them about the online offer. Well Chad, you can get a
1: 14-day free trial of fun online programs at myusa trainer.com. That's myusa trainer.com. Restrictions apply. See myusa
0: trainer.com for details. Well Ben, everybody knew that Ronda Rousey was going to beat Betch Kohea. She came into this fight we were told a favorite of somewhat epic proportions, according to the official pre-fight odds. Uh, she had muddied the waters a bit leading up to this fight, suggesting that she was going to take her time and do some sort of painful torture to Bechkohea because things had gotten a little personal between the two uh, leading up to the fight. Um, but I don't think we were surprised that it happened so quickly. I think obviously the surprising part of this fight was that if you were expecting Ronda Rousey to win in under a minute, uh, you probably would have ante- anticipated a takedown and one of her signature armbar submissions. Uh, the surprising thing here, she comes out throwing them bungalows with Bech Cohea, like it ain't no thang, and ends up uh, eating a few on the way, but uh, up against the cage there, drops Bech Cohea on her face, and ends up winning by knockout in 34 seconds. Uh, are you buying Ronda Rousey as an evolving mixed martial artist and that the already wide competitive gap between her and the rest of the women's bantamweight division could be getting even wider?
1: Well, she's definitely evolving. Like, she's definitely getting better. You know, we, we can see that in her striking game. At the same time, I think that what we saw there should have been encouraging to somebody like Chris Cyborg, for instance, who I'm sure looked at that and was not overly impressed with the striking game alone. I think what, what Rousey's able to do there is she brings a lot of pressure and a lot of aggression, uh, and she's just big and strong and kind of push people around a little bit and, Kohea, you'd think, was probably hoping that this would be the best case scenario, right? That you can get Ronda Rousey to just get into a brawl with you. And, uh, then you can, can tee off on her and hurt her before she has a chance to, to get her ground game working on you. And instead, uh, you know, as we've seen before, Rousey does not mind getting hit in the face at all. Uh, doesn't even seem to, uh, hit the pause button on her anymore. The way it did a little bit in that first Misha Tate fight where you could at least see, you know, she'd get hit a couple times and, would end up backing straight up, getting a little bit a little bit freaked out, not sure what to do, and that stuff is gone now. So I think if you wanted to capitalize on her inexperience in the striking game, you missed your window a couple of years ago.
0: Uh, you know, everyone's been making a big deal about the 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 brief nature of these fights, the last three fights uh, for Ronda Rousey, sixteen seconds, fourteen seconds, and thirty-four seconds. Uh that is obviously garnering her a lot of attention, I think, with the mainstream media at this point. I feel like we at least need to give a nod to the fact that that ain't nothing new for her like you look at her entire career record, you know eleven of her twelve wins are first round finishes uh and I believe nine of them have come in under a minute, so the fact that she's dusting people this fast is is not necessarily a new development for her uh she even won all of her all three of her amateur bouts. Uh, in under a minute before she even turned pro. So, uh, the fact that she's doing it that quickly is not necessarily a surprise, but like I said, it does seem like, uh, she's been working on her striking and she has some new athletic toys that she wants to, uh, to take for a spin against some of these opponents. And when you've got that grappling base, like Ronda Rousey has, uh, you can feel pretty secure in doing that because it would take a really big mistake for her to lose, especially against someone like Betch Kohea, who we know is not coming in with tremendous power, regardless of what the UFC pay-per-view broadcast may have tried to sell us. Uh, and I think if you're Rousey, and you know if you get in trouble on the feet, you can probably still grab a takedown and end almost any fight at will, seemingly.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think that is... She talked a little bit about it in her post-fight interview, but that is one of the things that really works to her advantage, is she can stand there and strike with you and wait to see how you feel about it. If you want to initiate the clinch and because her takedown game is so great out of the clinch, uh, that gives you such an advantage in MMA because you can just kind of either punch your way in there or let, let the other person try to work their way in there on the striking exchanges or just, you know, back them up and trap them against the fence and you've got them. And she has so many of those things at her disposal that she can kind of pick and choose there. Uh, it did though. I mean, being able to to knock Betch Cohea out with one punch, like you said, the UFC teased us with promises of Betch Cohea's one-punch power, which I assume they saw it in the gym or something, because we haven't seen it in fights. Well,
0: uh, there was that one TKO victory that she had somewhere in Brazil, which I have not seen. So it's possible that was a uh, Frank Mir style left hook to the dome that dropped her opponent like a stick of lumber.
1: Yeah, I guess like that's...
0: the big homie Todd Duffy. I guess that's possible. Uh, yeah, but then, see
1: ronda rousey go out there and she's the one who ends it with one punch you know that's i guess now that you see that she she can do that if you're somebody out there trying to pick apart ronda rousey's weaknesses and or if you're misha tate for instance and you've already fought her twice and you're trying to tell yourself okay here's why the third time is going to be different and that's where i start to to turn this best of five series in my favor what do you tell yourself
0: well, Misha Tate did just drop Jessica eye with that wing and overhand right in their last fight. So if you're Misha Tate and you can manage to stay on the feet, maybe you do have a chance to to do something devastating with your hands and uh if you're in the if you're in the business of selling yourself the most positive story if you're Misha Tate, I think that you can look at the fact that you're the only person uh to take Rousey as deep uh as anyone ever has, you're the only person ever to take her into the into the third round uh during their fight at UFC 168. You also saw Betch ward off a couple of Rousey takedown attempts, which is probably uh the most positive thing we could say for Betch in this fight, except that on the second one she kind of fell on her ass and stumbled backwards and then while regaining her footing got knocked out. So that's not necessarily going to go on the highlight reel if you're Betch But if you're Misha Tate and you feel like uh you can hold your own in the defensive wrestling category and you know that that Ronda Rousey has a pension to get punched in the face. Maybe you feel uh that you can uh utilize some of that power that looked good against Jessica Ai. I. I think it's a fairy tale, but like if I'm if I'm in the corner, a team team Tate down there in Washington, or I guess they're in Las Vegas now, that's yeah,
1: extreme couture. Yeah. That's what
0: I would tell myself.
1: You know what I would tell myself? Uh that your best chance to beat her is her doing too many TV and movie bullshit.
0: Yeah, then that's that's also possible. I mean, I think if history teaches us anything about these really dominant personalities and and dominant athletes, it's that they sometimes have a have a tendency to like cast themselves on the rocks. They're their own worst enemies. We obviously haven't seen that from from Ronda Rousey yet, but she does have a lot of extracurricular plans. She's about to star in a movie about her own life. I can't wait for that. She's
1: going to star in a movie based on the book about her own life. Can't wait for that performance. That is some get-rich-or-die-trying 50-cent bullshit. I can't wait to see how she pulls that off. Playing herself.
0: <laughs> you know, she I'll give her this. She actually has gotten better as an actress. You see her. She, I don't she think I've see ever seen her act. I really? I don't think I've ever seen anything she's been in except for, uh, you A bunch know, of commercials? Except Metro PCS commercials. I'm Even the not.
1: commercials seem to be getting better. Or at least her performance in the commercials seems to be getting
0: well, better. Well, I assume she's taking hella acting classes, bro. She better be.
1: Well, you'd gotta think if you were the kind of person who wanted to be a pro fighter, but then also film a movie seemingly between every single title defense. Ronda Rousey's style is the perfect one to utilize, right? Because you're gonna you're only gonna be in there for fifteen to thirty seconds. You're not really gonna take any damage. Hell man, you can roll up to the movie studio the next day uh and and you know, cut out a few scenes from the, the movie about your own life in which you star. It's my I guess my question is, is the best or the worst uh, risk for us losing Ronda Rousey in MMA that she's just going to get bored with the shit pretty soon and decide, you know what? I made a ton of money and became a huge star and I don't really need the fighting portion of this life anymore.
0: Well, I think we're going to talk more about what's in store for her in the next round. But I also think we've known for a while or at least had the suspicion that she's not going to be a lifer. Right. And at this point. It seems like, well, we know Misha Tate is next. I think it's largely assumed that if Holly Holm can get it together, she'll be after that. That probably takes you through almost the next year. Uh, and if, like, I think we said this last week, if a Chris Cyborg Justino fight is going to happen, that's the point where it's going to happen, Would I think, would be after those two fights. Uh, and Rousey has come been on the record as saying she feels like that fight, if it does happen, would be, quote unquote, her, you know, the best final fight of her career. So I wouldn't be surprised to see her walk away, man, especially uh since she's got so many other opportunities and uh not to be a broken record around here. But on this show, we have said lots of times, if you have other opportunities that are going to pay you as much or more as you will get by being punched in the face a ton, Take those opportunities, man. That's a smart move. I guess to her credit though, she doesn't get punched in the face a ton. And you know what? If you're Ronda Rousey and you go out there and you give it your best shot in Hollywood and you don't make it, guess what? You can probably come back, still grab whoever happens to be the champion at that point, toss them on their head and armbar them in 44 seconds. Yeah. So pretty good fallback, I guess, if, uh, if becoming the next The Rock does not work out. Yeah. Uh, should we talk a little bit about Betcoheya here before we move on? Sure. Yeah, we don't have a ton of time, but uh, I guess you got to give her credit in that uh, she did not act afraid of Ronda Rousey in the lead up to this fight. She looked to me pretty nervous once they got in the actual cage. She kind of stood over there doing a weird stork dance like a bird or something. In she had an, an elaborate routine, uh, and then uh, you know, once once we said let's get it on, she she tried to bring it. Man, I I think. Like I've said all along, I think you can say only mostly good things about Bech Koheya because she came from nowhere. She talked herself into this fight. She had what I consider to be a fairly brilliant marketing plan, uh, and it just happened to culminate in her getting beat up, although beat up really quick and not in a way that you think is going to uh, hamper her for the moving forward for the rest of her life. So, hey, man, good job, Bech Kohea, as far as I'm concerned.
1: Wow. All How right. From
0: start to finish. There right? you go. I I mean, you disagree? You're sitting over there looking at me like I'm crazy, but.
1: No, I guess. She didn't get
0: her arm broke, right?
1: I I really. Now I'm just imagining you as like Betch Kohea's manager, and you're back there in the locker room afterwards, chomping on a cigar, trying to make her feel better, and going, Look, kid, you didn't even get your arm broke.
0: (laughs) We knew this all along. You were were a nobody, and you got paid good work. From the word go, we knew that she didn't really belong in there, and she managed to turn herself from a complete unknown, like, 5-0 and o Brazilian female fighter into what passed as the number one contender who main-evented what could end up being the UFC's largest-selling pay-per-view of the year, uh, against the greatest female fighter we've ever seen before. You know, I would call that a borderline Rocky story <laughs> that does not end in a draw or whatever.
1: Yeah, where Rocky just gets beat up, but also gets a check and, and goes home. But you know, the thing that I think, uh, and maybe we'll talk about a little bit about this in round two. Is you know we were saying earlier isn 't it weird that this was the one that really seemed to reach outside of the MMA sphere and reach into the mainstream why was it you know why bechkoheya and round rossi why not one of the more seemingly on paper more competitive fights why didn't that seem to get as big a push uh, why did we reach the tipping point now and I was thinking afterwards and we talked a little bit about this Danny downs and I in our trading shots column how I bet to a lot of those people who you know are just kind of figuring out who Ronda Rousey is. They heard the name and they found out a little more and then they're really into it and they order their first UFC pay-per-view to see her fight or they go to a bar to see her fight. And if you don't really follow this sport... It just looks on paper to you like two undefeated fighters. It probably looks like just a big ass, like major yes. mega yeah. fight right yeah. there. Yes. Uh, you don't know enough to realize that Betch Kohea is in no way gonna even come close to winning this fight. I mean, they mentioned the odds on the broadcast, uh, and I, You'd, you'd have to be dumb not to understand that 18 to 1 odds against you just means that you're probably not going to win. But at the same time, if you don't follow this sport and you don't really pay attention to, to betting odds and anything else, you might not know if that's uncommon, uh, in MMA. For all you know, 18 to 1 is just something that happens every now and then. I think that for a lot of those people, this did seem like a huge deal. Like she just, like she really did knock out a serious, uh, threat and a major rival. Um, because, for one thing, the UFC manages to sell it that way pretty well uh, when they kind of package their own narrative out there. Uh, But also, like, if you just don't follow the sport on paper, she looked legit.
0: Yeah, and one of the more interesting things about Ronda Rousey right now, which I think we're going to talk about in round number two, is that she's reached this point where the UFC is not really selling her to MMA fans. They are, in fact, selling her to non-fight fans. And like you said, if you tune into this fight, you either are going to not know or you're not going to care. Yeah, Uh, if betch is a relevant or, uh, you know, reasonable challenger. Uh, We'll talk about that in round two. Ben, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we'll move on to, to more Ronda Rousey all the time discussion. What is your Are You Fucking Kidding Me for this week?
1: Well, Chad, as an avid Internet user and social media user, I'm sure you saw this image floating around. Uh, purporting to be from right after the, the end of the fight where Ronda Rousey is standing there getting ready to have her, her victory announced. And Betch Kohea is being comforted by her teammates. And uh, based on the image floating around the internet, it appears that she has soiled herself after being knocked out. Yes. Yeah. It is a fake. I'm, I'm sorry to disappoint you. Thank that, goodness. That is not the, the real image. The real image shows that there was no soiling of herself that went on. But, To just us as a people and as the users of a, you know, world-changing technology such as the internet. Are you fucking kidding me? That's what we do? And then within, like, seconds of the fight being over, that's the first thing somebody thinks to do is, I know, I'll take this picture and I'll Photoshop it to make it look like Betch Kohea shat upon herself. And then I'll just
0: sit back and enjoy my work. Are you fucking kidding me? What's wrong with you? Are you fucking kidding me? Takes a special kind. It does. To harness your Photoshop skills for that kind of use. Uh, ben, as we just spent the last round talking about, we know Ronda Rousey is an amazing athlete. But I also feel like we as an industry are going a little overboard at times here. You don't say. Ronda Rousey is not... A great historical figure as Joe Rogan multiple times mentioned on UFC 190 the other night. At least she's not yet. She's not the number one pound for pound fighter in the world, as I've seen suggested on social media. She's not the savior, you know, of mankind. Uh, If people want to make the case that she's some sort of feminist icon and a good role model for quote unquote little girls, as Dana White said, okay, I'll let you have that one. Uh, though I would also argue that she is a super flawed icon if you look at the things she said about Fallon Fox and Chris Cyborg and her tweets about Sandy Hook and you watch her gleefully hanging around with convicted rapist Mike Tyson. But she is the best women's fighter we've ever seen and I get that. I just think we need to pump the brakes a little bit on some of the more over-the-top love that we occasionally give Ronda Rousey. Like, for instance, getting choked up. When you interview her in the (laughs) post-fight phrase. When you get that close to a historical figure, Chad. Are you fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me. That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two.
1: Chad we talked about Ronda Rousey the fighter now let's take a minute and talk about Ronda Rousey the superstar and see if we can tell where this train is headed like we said a bunch of movies out about to do one where she stars playing herself in a movie about herself which seems like it's going to be so weird you can't possibly stand to miss it uh but it also seems like when you watch Ronda Rousey go out there and beat up Betch Kohea, who took up fighting four years ago to lose weight, then that's when you start to wonder, what are we doing here? Who are we doing it against? And how long can we keep doing that? Because I, I get that a whole lot of people who don't watch UFC pay-per-views probably watch this one. Uh, they saw it over in 34 seconds. It was probably exciting enough that they didn't necessarily feel like uh, they didn't get their money's worth, especially because there were seven goddamn fights on the main card. Jesus Christ, it was almost 2 a- two a.m. on the East Coast. If you came away from that feeling like you didn't get your money's worth of fighting, then you are, as Chad Dundas would say, a shit-eating wild man for this stuff. Uh, but are you going to be able to just keep doing this indefinitely? Or are you going to be basically forced into doing the cyborg fight when people stop buying Ronda Rousey fights, opting instead to just wait for the vine?
0: That, I think, is the biggest question right now regarding Ronda Rousey's budding celebrity, man. I mean, you watch her fight, and she has an enormous amount of charisma. You cannot deny it. From the moment that you see her walk out of the locker room to the Joan Jett song with that look on her face and storm through the crowd of crazy Brazilians who are trying to slap her in the face, and it doesn't even phase her, then she gets there and then beats somebody in 30 seconds, like that, that, that she's got a thing that is super appealing. And I would say totally underscored her, her super stardom by the fact that this, you know, there was a good possibility that we could spend this Monday talking about UFC 190 as a long, slow slog and one of the more underwhelming pay-per-views of the year. And then Ronda Rousey comes out. And at least me personally, granted, we're in the one true time zone, not necessarily the Eastern time zone. So it was more like midnight here, not 2 a.m. But I forget immediately as soon as she comes out. I'm like, yeah, totally forgotten about the previous lackluster three and a half hours. Right. Yeah. And then she whips the shit out of Betch Coheia and and goes home. And that's brilliant to me. Uh Now, are you going to continue to be able to sell that to people for $60 a pop? That, I think, is is the question, man. And and like we've said before, the UFC for a long time now has really uh, purposefully and consciously tried to draw parallels between her and Mike Tyson, Uh, you know, having him at at tons of photo ops. And uh, do you recall we were children when Mike Tyson was at his prime? Do you recall a sense that people got tired of him as a guy who went out there and knocked out everybody in under a minute? Because I don't necessarily remember people getting tired of him, but I remember before the fight that he lost to Buster Douglas that a lot of people talking about how they weren't going to watch it because it was on super late because it was in Japan and everyone was like Tyson is just going to knock this clown out in a minute right and maybe that could happen to Ronda Rousey like, I don't I don't even know if she has the same kind of star power or the same kind of appeal as a heavyweight boxer who knocks everyone out in under a minute like do you do you remember people getting tired of Tyson and do you think that Ronda Rousey's star will dim if she just keeps picking the bones of a division where people just don't belong in there with her
1: you know I, I do remember people saying that about Tyson and I remember in fact my dad Dad, who uh, was a huge boxing fan, wouldn't buy the Tyson pay-per-views because, and that was his exact reasoning: was it's just going to be over really quickly, and you know you're going to pay forty bucks or whatever it was back then, uh, and the fight's going to be over in a minute and a half. So why would you do that? And also, though the difference there was with boxing then as now, they're selling a pay-per-view based only on one fight. They're not really trying to do much with the undercard. Uh, To get you to buy it as a a whole value. And the UFC, you know, they've maybe gotten away from that in the last couple of years, uh, but still does a pretty good job of trying to put together a whole card that's going to sell it, not just the the one main card fight. I mean, I think what's more likely than just people getting tired of it, not buying it because it's over so quickly is if people get clued into these aren't, she's way ahead of these people, that it's just not going to be competitive because you have basically one world-class elite athlete against enthusiasts, more right. or less.
0: And yeah, and I think that that is a super valid point. And, and we talked about it before we started recording this show. But Ron Rousey comes into the women's bantamweight division as a former Olympic medalist in judo and a lifelong judo prodigy who was raised by a judo black belt. Uh, and the judo world champion yeah judo world champion and and has spent her entire life as a high level world class athlete to to date her biggest rival in the hundred and thirty five pound division is Misha Tate, whose biggest world or amateur accolade was that she was a high school wrestler in the state of washington and i would uh you know I would suggest that in any athletic endeavor or any weight class. Uh, If you send an Olympic caliber athlete, which in judo, like that's the highest you get, man, Olympic Olympic athletes going to be the highest level athlete. You send the highest level athlete you can get out there against a, a person who only did it in high school. Somebody's going to get their ass kicked. Right. So this is this is not necessarily a surprise that, that she has done this. And the thing that I said at the beginning of the show about her dominance being like Barry Bonds going to your kid's T-ball game. That was only like partially a joke because I feel like that's actually kind of true. Like Sports Illustrated can call Ronda Rousey the most dominant athlete in the world, but it's not like she is LeBron James having to go out and, and, you know, try to compete, uh, with the, with the, uh, Golden State Warriors in the finals, right? She's, it's much more like, uh, LeBron James going to like a college basketball practice and playing somebody one on one, like the disparity of talent is much more like that than like anything else you would see in 2015 professional sports.
1: That's true. I mean, I guess it does, though. It's still like you can still say that that makes her dominant sure, because like you, that's the definition of dominance. yeah. You are she is that much better than everybody else in it, and I'm, it makes me wonder is is her success is this going to be the thing that convinces? other female athletes who could be just as dominant to start to think, like, all right, maybe this is worth a try. The same way Gina Carano's success convinced Ronda Rousey that MMA was worth doing because she could look at Gina and see, all right, you can make a living doing this if you're the right person. Uh, and, you know, she's definitely way more of an elite athlete than Gina Carano ever was. And so, like, it makes sense that she's having even more success than Gina Carano ever had. And it seems like they it, it would ha- have some kind of domino effect where Ronda Rousey is going to affect other women who might decide to go into this that otherwise might not have. You just wonder when will those women show up? Because yeah, uh, It doesn't during, seem not
0: during her career. Yeah. It's right? not going
1: to be like next year. You know, it, you, what we, what you see right now is what we got when right. it comes to women's yeah. bantamweight. But, and, and I think you do have like some really good athletes in there. You have Holly Holm. I think if she can, you know, maybe, Uh, get a little more aggressive in there. You see, physically, she has a lot of great tools. I don't think anybody's gonna pick her if it comes to a fight between her and Ronda Rousey, but it'll at least be, uh, interesting. I still think, though, you're, you are gonna get to a point when, you know, maybe she beats Misha Tate for a third time. Maybe she beats Holly Holm. And then what are you gonna do? You're gonna, you're gonna start running through the reruns with Alexis Davis and Sarah McMahon and, and Liz Carmouche and, and Sarah Kaufman and everybody. Are you going to be trying to tell me Jessica I is the biggest threat Ronda Rousey has ever faced in your deep promo voice? Or are you just going to, at that point, have to say, damn it, I don't care if Cyborg can make 135, I don't care if she can only make 140, or even if you have to do it at 145, that's just the only fight there is?
0: Yeah, I think that you are going to have to eventually do that fight, and I think that the UFC knows that, which is probably why we've seen those reports about Cyborg being under contract. Uh, it's also kind of unthinkable and frankly, like flatly not believable that Ronda Rousey doesn't want that fight, right? Cause she downplays it whenever she gets asked about it. She acts like she doesn't want to fight cyborg cause she's been on steroids, et cetera, et cetera. And the people who say that the 135 pound champion shouldn't have to move up to 140 to fight a, a, a steroid cheat, a person who has failed a drug test in the past. I get it. Those people are right. But I also think that's that's the fight you're going to get, and I just think we're waiting until the last possible moment to do it. Yes, And that has to be a UFC directive, I believe, because otherwise there's no way you will ever convince me that the personality that we know as Ronda Rousey wouldn't immediately fight Chris Cyborg cage side at the World Series of Fighting and then throw a beer on her as she's being pushed up the stairs. Like, <laughs> Ronda Rowski believes in her heart she would beat the shit out of Chris Cyborg and would do it at the drop of a hat, period. So you're,
1: you're telling me you think maybe there was a discussion at some point where when Dana White sat down and said, listen, we're going to do that fight, but first we're going to wring every single cent we can out of all these other chicks and then when when there's no more money left to be made anywhere uh in the the women's bantamweight division we'll go see what's up with cyborg who by the way will have aged a little bit by then
0: that's the only thing that makes sense isn't it because like the per- <laughs> No, hey, I'm not saying you're wrong. Right, there's no way Ronda Rousey doesn't want to fight Chris Cyborg. Just from what we know about Ronda Rousey's mindset, she will fight anyone at any time and probably beat them. So, I don't think she's wrong wrong to think that. I just think that uh we're dealing with we're slow playing this ace. Yeah, they definitely want to are- get as much money in the pot as we possibly can before we flip over the cards
1: that's true I, th- I definitely think that from the ufc's perspective they are knowingly paying, especially because if you think back to when dana white used to push for some kind of super fight between like gsp and anderson silva or talk about anderson silva versus john jones and he would talk about like oh you know those those mega super fights champion versus champion those are the stuff fight fans love and that's what's great about fight sports and then as soon as it comes to ronda rousey and cyborg it's well hey cyborg has to make the way As soon as Cyborg makes the wait, that fight's on. We're just, we're all waiting on you, Cyborg. And you can't tell me that he would seriously, if, if the, if we got down to it where Rousey beats Misha Tate, then she beats Holly Holm, and Cyborg says, look, I can get down to 140 and that's it. That's the absolute lowest I can possibly go. Do you want to make millions of dollars off of me or not? Dana White would say, nope, don't want it.
0: Yeah, I think we culturally in the MMA industry are kind of, Cutting cutting that some slack like uh, and like I said, I think people who suggest that Ronda Rousey shouldn't have to move up and wait to fight a steroid cheat are right. I think that that argument holds water. Uh, at the same time, though, it's hard for me to believe that any other champion in the UFC who was as dominant as Ronda Rousey wouldn't face more scrutiny about their decision not to move up to fight that the person from the heavier weight class because like. George St. Pierre caught some flack for not being that interested in the Anderson Silva fight. Can you imagine if George St. Pierre was knocking out every welterweight in the world in 25 seconds? Like, it would be a feeding frenzy on the MMA message boards to get that guy up to 185 to fight uh Anderson Silva. I just think we're in this place right now with Ronda Rousey, whether we know it or not, where we're kind of like, we're going to let it slide because... She's good for everyone's business. Yeah. And we just like her. So there you go.
1: Yeah, that could be.
0: Anyway, that's going to do it for round number two. Uh, we're going to be right back with round number three. Paul Harris up to his old tricks again at World Series of Fighting 22 this past weekend, holding his Kimura submission on Jake Shields just a fraction of a second too long, as is his want to do at this point. Before we start talking about Paul Harris specifically, uh, it should come as a shock to no one at all that World Series of Fighting has a press conference scheduled for Tuesday.
1: You know, I appreciate them saying in advance, though, just so that we all know that the Some... we know what the big Tuesday news is going to be around anyway. So then we can at least kind of speculate irresponsibly. I was just going
0: to ask you, what is your irresponsible speculation about what will happen at the World Series of Fighting Tuesday press conference?
1: Well, to... To seeing them say, you know, that, hey, Paul Harris gouged his eyes, gouged Jake Shield in the eyes, and then held the submission too long, and so we're going to make an announcement Tuesday. i got to think your announcement is that you're stripping him of the title.
0: Yeah, I would think you're going to strip him of the title and cut him or suspend him, because I think you're in a tough I place with keep World him. Series of Fighting, because uh, Rusmar Paul Harris may be a crazy person, but he's also one of the only uh, fighters that you have on your roster that people actually want to tune in to watch. So you think he gets away here with a suspension... Uh, you think that, that no time at all, or uh, you think Ray Sifo brings a pink slip to the to the press conference and Rusmar Paul-Harris hits the open market?
1: I say no way do they let him go. You need Rusmar Paul-Harris of your World Series of Fighting, even with his weird, I'm only watching because I think that he's going to do something crazy appeal. That's still an appeal and that counts for something if you're World Series of Fighting. You don't, you don't have a whole lot of that going on. I think they strip him mainly, you know, because they want to feel like they can show us that they're doing something about it. Maybe they suspend him, you know, some kind of meaningless suspension for a fighter like six months or something where a big deal. Uh, and then, you know, they let him come back and, and fight and see if he can fight his way back to the vacant title or whatever, uh, whoever, you know, I'm sure they hold a, a fight to see who gets to, Hold on to the belt in the meantime, but I don't think they're going to get rid of him. I think that 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 sort of value does mean something for them, but you do have to do something about this guy because, you know, in this one, it wasn't even like he held it super long, but he did have to be pried off by the ref and it just like taken in context with his entire career. You you have to recognize that there's
0: a problem with that guy. It's yeah. not an isolated incident. And also taken into context with the eye gouges, yes. right? Like, he didn't just hold the Kimura on Jake Shields two beats too long. He also poked him in the eyes a ton. And the photos that came out post-fight of Jake Shields' face were disgusting. So I think that, like, you have to take those two things... Uh, in concert and i believe as you told me earlier like it was so obvious that rusmar paul harris kind of cheated in this fight that jake shields punched him after the bell and like nobody even really said anything about that for yeah, a really long nobody's time
1: nobody's even mad at him
0: i mean i heard that that commission is going to take a
1: look at that one whatever but you know that's the kind of thing that gets you blackballed from organizations punching a guy after the fight is over he punched her in the face after the fight was over and everybody just kind of collectively went yeah no we can see where you're coming from on that one jake
0: Yeah. And yeah, this was not really an egregious instance of Rusmar Pallaris holding the submission too long, but you know, resumes matter, reputations matter. And when you're the guy who got cut from the UFC because you held your heel hook on Mike Pierce too long, and then you do the same thing time after time, uh, if you hold a submission for any amount of time too long, that's going to be too long because of what we already know about you. And that's kind of sad, don't you think? Because now Rusmar Paharis is coming off back-to-back submission wins over Jake Shields and John Fitch. He's won four fights in a row. Uh, up until this fight, he had three first-round finishes in a row. Like, this dude legitimately could be among the best, if the not, if not the best, submission fighters in mixed martial arts and... It's kind of totally going to fall by the wayside, maybe because he's a crazy person.
1: Yeah. No, it is sad because you're right. Like submitting guys like uh, Jake Shields and John Fitch, you're submitting guys who don't get submitted. And that, that's significant. And it's just, it's a shame that it has to be marred by this. But at the same time, if you were going to learn anything, if you're Rusamar Baharis and you were going to learn from your mistakes, don't you think you would have done it by now? What else do you could you do to the guy to make the point if he hasn't gotten it by now? I mean, he was dealing with this way back. Uh, you know, he was criticized for it at times uh, even before he was in the UFC. When he was in the UFC, he got uh, suspended in New Jersey uh, for holding a, a heel hook on uh, Thomas Rawl uh, at UFC like 111 in 2010, uh, and then he gets fired from the UFC faces uh, criticism over and over again in world series of fighting for it and is still doing it like what what could you possibly do to him now where it would finally click for him where he'd be like you know what maybe i am holding it too long <laughs> <laughs> i didn't see it but now i don't know enough people said it so maybe maybe they're they're onto something maybe they see something i don't uh, yeah and you get the, you know what the reaction is going to be the same thing from his camp him and his camp every single time they're just like like, they can't believe people are picking on poor Husamar again. Oh, man. People just love to single him out and make him a scapegoat, don't they? Like, they, they just can't under- even understand how this criticism keeps happening. And it's like, you're the only ones who can't understand it.
0: Yeah, and it's a weird thing to not understand because turning loose a submission when the ref tells you to rather than hurting the other person that you're fighting is the foundational point of mixed martial arts. That's why mixed martial arts exists. (laughs) It's why we have these rules. And it's one of the reasons that, you know, mixed martial arts can sometimes elevate the violence of fighting. It can take that violence and transcend it and sometimes make it into something kind of beautiful and awe awe inspiring. Like the foundation of all of that is that we have a mutually agreed upon set of rules that everyone is going to follow. And if you don't follow them and you kind of like, break through the veneer of the referee being in control. You take this sport, which at its best can elevate this violence and transcend it. And you turn it into two guys fighting in a parking lot. So like, and gouging one another's eyes out. Yes. You can try to minimize like how long Rusma or Paul Harris held the submission. But from where I'm sitting, like that's one of the most important things about the sport is Following what the referee tells you, uh, not because you, not because the referee can make you do something you don't want to, but because you're a sportsman, and we've all agreed on that we're going to follow these rules. Yeah, that you
1: can quit whenever you want to, uh, and that is like, it's like one of the first things you teach kids when you start teaching them jujitsu is like, look, uh, the the tap is sacred, and we must all respect the tap. And I get that it's competition. You don't want to let go as soon as the guy taps you. You want to wait to make sure the ref saw it and the ref is actually stopping the fight. But Jesus Christ, man, the ref should not have to pry your arms off of your opponent's limbs every single goddamn time.
0: And you, like, juxtapose Paul Horace with Damian Maya, who also got a big submission win this past weekend. He outclasses Neil Magny, pretty much beats him by submission, stands up, shakes his hand, pats him on the back. That leaves you with the impression, oh, Damian Maya, nice dude, like, good sportsman, easy to like. And then you see Rusmar Paul Horace, like, throwing up his hands as if to say, why I always getting fucked uh, at the end of the Jake Shields fight. And you come away thinking you know what, this guy's super talented, but it kind of feels like we're about done with him.
1: Yeah. Well, and it also feels like, especially the eye-gouging thing, like eye-gouging somebody when you're stuck on bottom and mount, and he was getting pretty thoroughly out-grappled by Jake Shields at that point in the fight. And that, to me, tells you that here you've got a guy who uh just, when when the chips are down and going against him, the first thing he thinks to do is cheat. I think that that... That combined with his history of holding on to the the submissions, we always come back to that question, right? Is he doing it on purpose or is he just some kind of – like get in some kind of uh, zone where he doesn't even understand what's happening and he can't even control himself? Which I mean I've, I've heard his management try to make that argument before that, hey, it's not really his fault that he can't can't control himself, which – uh, that's probably worse. Uh, that yeah. would be more of a reason to to drum him out of the sport because if he's so dangerous that he cannot be held responsible for his own actions. But when you combine it with the those eye gouges, which were pretty blatant and obvious and like so much so that Jake Shields was like, as he had Paul Harris's fingers in his eyes, was trying to like talk through Paul Harris's hand to the ref, be like, are you seeing this? That I think tells you that it's kind of a character issue for him, that that is the kind of person he is.
0: All right, Ben. Well, let's do uh, just saying stuff, and then we'll get out of here for this week. Um, Ben, this week, I feel like we would be remiss if we didn't at least make some passing mention of how awkward it felt that UFC 190 was sponsored by the new NWA biopic. Biopic or biopic? Biopic? Biopic. Biopic. I think. Straight out of Compton. More to the point, straight out of Compton. There you go. Uh, mostly because it kind of required Mike Goldberg to continually say the phrase straight out of Compton over and over <laughs> again, uh, on the broadcast. And also, and I guess before I say this, I should note that as a disclaimer, there is probably no MMA podcast in the world today that is more into the big homie ice cube than the co-main event podcast. Uh, but. Man, when I've already watched three and a half hours of a pay-per-view waiting to see the one fight that anybody came here to see, the last thing that I want to see is a special message from Ice Cube telling me that I gotta go watch straight out of Compton. I'm just saying. Just saying. I don't know about for
1: you, but for me, I was really excited to see Straight Out of Compton because I like me some NWA, and then when I see that it has such full-throated support from the dudes that it's about, that's when I start to remember... Well, they made it, oh, and they
0: produce it about themselves. Yeah, and see, I, I had forgotten
1: that even somehow with Suge Knight being involved in running a dude over like during the filming of it, and then that kind of stuff reminded me, and I was like, oh yeah, so it's just people making a movie about themselves, huh? Well, I'm sure that will be an honest and unvarnished look. No,
0: like I said, man, I couldn't be more into NWA and or Ice Cube but the previews that I've seen of this film just kind of make it look unintentionally hilarious hey Paul Giamatti's in it yeah yes he is and I say again unintentionally hilarious
1: (laughs) well Chad this week my just saying stuff, you mentioned Demian Maia's win over Neil Magny on the prelims. And by the way, if I was Demian Maia, here's where I'd be pissed off that these tough Brazil noobs get to fight on the main card, and I go out there and beat a dude who's on a seven fight win streak, and I'm on the prelims. But okay, you know, maybe you're on Fox Sports 1, you're there at the end, you're the featured prelim, uh, which isn't a thing. Um I'm just saying, though... I don't know if you saw the fight, but it's basically Demian Maya just tooling Neil Magny on the mat, takes him down almost immediately in the first round, mounts him, just mauls him the entire first round to where Magny is lucky to escape into the second round, and you're thinking, well, the good news for Neil Magny is this one starts standing, and then he gets taken down again and submitted. I'm just saying, Demian Maya, whatever you have to do, whoever you have to talk to, whatever palms you have to grease, buy the rights to this fight, man. Buy the rights to it, add your own commentary over the top like Boss Rootin did with all his old Pancrase fights, and then sell it as a DVD uh, or online instructional about jiu-jitsu for MMA for nine ninety five a pop, and I guarantee you every jiu-jitsu nerd in the country buys it because that shit was awesome. I'm just saying.
0: Just saying. Well, that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. We'll be back next week to break down all the stuff that happens at UFC Fight Night 73. And I assume, look ahead to UFC Fight Night 74. Oh, good. Uh, As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. You know who uh, is probably most happy that Betch Kohea did not actually take her pants during the Women's Bandit title fight? Who? Reebok. Can you imagine... Coming off that event with the wardrobe malfunction, if now fighters are out there soiling themselves in their skin type white outfits. At least that one they would be able to
1: say, hey, this time, not a fall.